Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat number 172 for the 5th of November 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski here with Paul Ducklin. Welcome back, Paul. Hello, Chester. You are in Grand Canyon country, are you not? Well, I'm a little ways from the Grand Canyon, but I am in Scottsdale, Arizona, and uh, I really can't complain uh, considering the time of year that it is here in the Northern Hemisphere to, to be sitting uh, off the edge of a golf course overlooking a pond in, in, in nice, sunny, warm Arizona. Well, I guess in a short while it'll be covered in snow, but you may as well enjoy it while you can. Looking at the diversity at the countries in this quarter's championship uh, is kind of interesting. It's certainly very diverse. What, what's the deal with Switzerland being number three and Israel number five, France number six? We have a perception that, you know, the Western world is allegedly uh, more savvy about computer security. And that, of course, with our wealth, we've all got antivirus and all this kind of stuff. What, what's the scoop in the, in the rankings? Yes, probably should just explain the championship is a pun on championship, if you like. It's the league table that actually you want to be at the bottom of, where we work out which country sent the most spam and then which country sent the most spam per capita. In other words, sort of measures in which country are computers most likely to be zombified or infected with a bot, um, which is where most spam comes from. So it's kind of an indication, if you like, of the attitude to computer security. The US is all, has almost always been at the top of the by volume charts simply because of its enormous internet connectivity, but it's usually pretty low on the per capita charts, with Switzerland, as you say, in third place, producing three and a half times as much spam per person as the US. Israel, a country that's contributed greatly to entrepreneurism in computer security over the years, 2.7 times the spamminess per person of the US. I can't explain that other than to say maybe there's a bit of a challenge waiting to get out there. You know, people in countries that are high up this chart that probably should do better, Switzerland, the obvious one, see if you can get yourself down the table next time. No matter which country you're in, there is a message here about being a bot or a zombie. I mean, this is an interesting way of looking at generalized infection rates of computers in these countries. If there's bots sending out spam, then there's probably equivalent amounts of crypto locker, banking trojans, you know, all the other stuff that we see out there as well, right? Yes, because most spamming zombies, most spam bots also have a wide range of other functions. You know, while the crooks are meddling around in your computer, getting it to send spam, they're going to be looking around for things like data they can steal, passwords they can log, maybe mapping out your network from the inside, so far as there is an inside. And the other thing to remember is that almost every bot in existence contains at least the two features update thyself, which means that you always get the latest version of the bot if the crook wants, and download some arbitrary other malware and run it. Well, you know, while we're on the subject of bots, I mean, you wrote a great article on Naked Security about what a zombie in a bot is and some of the types of capabilities and how that ecosystem works. Hopefully that wakes people up to the importance of this task, right? Yes, because there are still a lot of people who think, well, remote control means something like RDP or VNC. In other words, the crook has to connect into, be invited into your computer, make a connection, and then they can take complete control of it. So therefore, surely, if you've got a firewall or a router that's doing NAT 
or an ISP that doesn't allow you to have inbound connections unless you ask or even pay extra, what harm can the crooks do? How can a bot possibly work? Because the crook can't get in to do the control. And of course, modern bots simply don't work like that anymore. The crooks don't call you. You call home and ask what you're supposed to do next. What that means is the crook can't tell your computer, begin sending spam immediately. He can put out a message and your computer will collect it eventually, maybe five minutes later. So he loses a bit of immediacy. But if his goal is to get your computer to send 100,000 spams in the next 24 hours, he doesn't care whether it starts in one second or five minutes. You know, the same with stealing data. If he has to wait 10 minutes to get the data instead of 10 seconds, it's still stolen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I was uh, demonstrating the credit card stealing malware recently at a conference, and that's precisely how it works, just like you're talking. It, it has the ability to update itself. It has the ability to download a, an additional payload on command from the, the bot herder, as I guess we would call them. And like you say, on an interval, in this case, it was 90 seconds, that bot calls home, reports back any stolen credit cards it found, and sees if there's any instructions to go install some more malware. And every 90 seconds, it just checks in like clockwork. I guess the good news is that it does mean that for a, a bot or a zombie to be successful, there are generally four stages and it has to succeed in all of them. It has to get in and infect. It has to connect to its command and control service or infrastructure. It has to download its instructions on what to do next. And then it has to transmit any results. That might be emailing spam, or in your case, it's sending back the credit card data it's stolen. Ideally, you'll stop infection in the first place. But even if you don't, you can actually stop or intervene in any of the others, and you can still greatly limit your damage. So as always, that reminder about defense in depth. Even if you miss the initial infection, you can still A, use the bot's behavior to notice that the infection exists, and B, stop it doing anything too dastardly. Yeah, I think it's good to, to remind people not to be so pessimistic. I mean, I hear frequently when I'm at events, people go, well, the bad guys only have to be right once. And it's not really true, right? If you map out an attack that gets you infected with one of these bots or zombies, the email has to get past your spam filter or the exploit kit on the web page, you know, has to find a vulnerable application, and then it has to get past your web filter, then it has to get past your antivirus, then it has to get past your host intrusion prevention system, and then it has to get back out again and go back out through that network filter, that web filter, you know, to contact the command and control. If you can stop it at any of the six or seven things along the way, you've done your job. And it's not just a one directional thing. That defense in depth isn't just putting things in front of you for the way in. It's also looking at all the stuff on the way out. So you've got kind of two swings of the bat, if you will. Well, let, let's continue exploring, you know, how people are getting infected. And, of course, one of those ways is through websites that are not updated, get compromised by bad guys, and they're arguably good websites that now contain malicious code. And, unfortunately, um, I think this may be the most important story of the week from my perspective is vulnerabilities discovered in Drupal a very popular content management system and blogging platform that our colleague Mark Stockley wrote about on Naked Security, almost immediately starting to be exploited by criminals as soon as it was announced that there was a fix available. And, and because of its widespread use, this could be a real issue. What better victim site for a crook than a content management system, like in this case, Drupal? 
because a CMS, content management system, its whole idea is to provide a remotely accessible repository that lets you edit, backup, review, test, and finally publish the content of your live site. So if the crooks can get in there, they can just alter your content, you know, including hiding away files that you didn't even realize were there, click the publish button, and suddenly you're hosting their malware for them. You're taking the blame and you're providing the bandwidth. Really, the onus here is on, on all of us, I guess, keeping our, uh, a clean house, right? I mean, just like we need to keep our desktops clean, we shouldn't ignore those servers because, oh, they run Linux or they run Mac. The reality is that's the perfect launching platform for the crooks to host their stuff and remain undetected, right? The fact that you didn't put antivirus on your Linux web server and the fact that you didn't go and do the updates uh, promptly like you might do on your Windows servers means that you're allowing them to, you know, use your resources, as you say, lay dormant and put all of your community at risk. You don't just have to rely on, wow, there's been a patch for my Linux server or for this application on my Linux server, I better apply it now. That would be good, but there are other defensive strategies you can take as well, including, as you say, running an antivirus, which means that you're likely to spot if crooks try and use you as a repository for delivering malware to other guys. Wouldn't you like to know about that sooner rather than later? Or something like a web application firewall. Absolutely. And I mean, web application firewalls are are a critical component in helping uh, prevent the initial infection vector, especially, right? Uh, criminals often are, are doing things like directory traversal attacks or SQL injection attacks. Yes, I was, Chester, in fact, someone, someone said to me just today, you know, why would I need two defenses for the same thing? I've got a, my web server has this URL sanitization. It's looking for the bad stuff. Why do I want a web application firewall that's essentially looking for the same things as well? And my response was, you know, it's a little bit like why the road safety agency in your country probably puts signs ahead of traffic lights saying, warning, traffic lights ahead. Why would you have a warning sign warning you about a warning sign? And the answer is, you could have a power failure. The traffic lights won't be visible. You could just not notice them. Exactly the same in the case of, uh, of computer defences. Defence in depth means the crooks have to get the holes in two layers of Swiss cheese to line up, not just one. Now, there's an, a, another attack circulating uh, that you wrote about that was kind of interesting. I think a lot of folks heard the news earlier this year that CryptoLocker went away, and, and we need to remind folks, I guess, that the idea of ransomware, just because one particular gang or one particular strain of malware uh, is no longer around, doesn't really mean the problem's been solved. You know, there still is a lot of ransomware out there. And this time it came in via, you know, pretending to be a, a ticket from one of these cameras, uh, speed cameras on the side of the road. Looking at the screenshots you posted, uh, I could see, uh, you know, easily being confused by this trick. Yes, if you're, uh, if you're interested in reading about this one, seeing the screenshots, just go to Naked Security and search for the word GATSO, being British English for speed camera. Actually, ironically named after a Dutch chap called Morris Gatsonides, who invented the speed camera so he could learn how to drive faster, believe it or not. And, you know, if you think about two things that people are afraid of in the information age, one is speeding cameras, particularly the digital ones that just suck up as much data as they like without needing to have any film replaced. And the other, of course, is ransomware. So this story sort of made me chuckle, if computer security disasters can make you chuckle, um, because it combined both of those. You get a fake speeding ticket, 
you need to act now. But of course, when you click on the act now, you actually go to a fake site, which is uh, a reasonably good looking clone of the New South Wales State Debt Recovery Office. The crooks even make you solve a capture and you actually have to solve it correctly before you get to your download, I guess just to give it a little smattering of legitimacy and then bang, they try and hit you with ransomware. Fortunately, the control site that this thing needs to connect to seems to be down. Um, so uh, a lot of the infrastructure behind this particular attack has been taken away. So if you thought ransomware went away, CryptoLocker version one went away, but the idea of scrambling all your data and asking you to pay for it to get it back is still around. Backup is your friend. And I think this is a good example as well, Doc, to remind us of why we shouldn't stigmatize users who uh, fall victim to these things. We really need to encourage our staff and our friends and family, at our, uh, both at our companies and our, and our personal lives, to tell us when these things happen, right? Because it's easy to be tricked. And yes, there are some telltale signs. But the result, of course, being something like ransomware is quite tragic. The sooner you know about the problem, the, the more able you are to minimize the damage, remediate the problem, uh, and, and fix it. And, and th this idea that, oh, you fell for an email, you're an idiot, uh, that, that I, I've seen all too often really needs to change in, in, our, in our IT groups around the world and that we need to embrace people who report things to us so that we can help them because we're all going to make mistakes once in a while. You know, Chester, uh, earlier this week, I received an email from somebody who has emailed Naked Security before to ask questions about stuff that where she had fallen victim to some scammer because she didn't realize writing to say, you know what? Very similar sort of thing happened to me again. I didn't fall for it this time. This is how I spotted it. I'm telling all my buddies. And you just think, well, that's one less person that we have to worry about. And one more person who can actually pass on the good news to the next guy. Couldn't have said it better. And on that note, I'm going to conclude Software Security Chat Chat 172. As always, for the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Uh, our podcasts are available on iTunes, uh, on the TuneIn app, and of course over at soundcloud.com slash And until next time, stay secure.